Welcome to another edition of Global Investment Leaders. Welcome to another edition of Global Investment Leaders. I'm Chaz Burkhart, CEO of Rosemont. Very happy to be joined today by my friend Kristen Bauer, who is CEO of Laird Norton Wealth Management in Seattle. Kristen, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, Chaz. Appreciate it. I'd love to start with your background. Tell me a little bit about how you got started and where you are today. Great. In some ways, it's an interesting story. In other ways, it's a very boring story. I was raised uh, in Bend, Oregon. Consider myself kind of a, a scrappy kid from Bend, Oregon. Ended up going to school in the, the big city of Seattle at University of Washington, which was a huge uh, change for somebody that came from such a small town and uh, went to work for Arthur Anderson right out of school. And at Arthur Anderson, I had the very fortunate chance of meeting a gentleman by the name of George Russell, who, um, as you may know, founded Russell Investments with his grandfather way long ago. And uh, he took a chance on me when I was 28 and hired me to help he and his family start their family office about two weeks before they sold Russell Investments. And I knew a little bit about accounting and, and foundations, and he knew a lot about investing. And he said, why don't, would you like to take a journey with, with my family and really try to build something unique? And so we embarked on that journey in 1998. About five years into it, we realized that a, a single family office was somewhat difficult to have a long, robust future on behalf of our employees and wanted to try and build something unique for clients who could come together and share ideas around the complexities of wealth. And it was this notion that if we could get into a room and talk about topics where wealth really complicates the issues, such as raising children, private equity investing, philanthropy, we could all come out with some new ideas about how to approach wealth. And so we opened our doors to new clients in 2004 and built that company called Threshold Group, which uh, at the end of the day, we ended up selling it to Tiedemann Advisors. The family was going through some generational changes and really thinking about what hats they wanted to wear and realizing that they really just wanted to be a client and not an owner of an organization. So I took off my hat of being an employee of Threshold Group and put on my Russell family advisor hat and helped them through that process to sell to Tiedemann, which was a wonderful fit for that family. But in that process, one of the leading contenders for Threshold Group was actually Laird Norton. And I got to know the Laird Norton family and their mission and uh, value proposition within Laird Norton. And so when they called just two years ago, their CEO was retiring and they called and asked if I would be interested in taking over the reins as CEO. And it was an incredibly compelling offer based on their vision of this organization that's been around for 54 years, really thinking longer term about the impact that they can make on the communities and the clients that they serve. So I joined Laird Norton. Uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting because I accepted the job on March 3rd of 2020. And if you remember, March 3rd, 2020 was before the world shut down. Yes. Uh, we had heard of this thing called COVID, but it hadn't really uh, taken effect yet. The world shut down around March 14th. I started on April 20th. And so my entire tenure as CEO of Laird Norton has been during COVID. And uh, in some ways, it's been wonderful as I've gotten to know some of the employees at a, just a different level. But in other ways, it's been very challenging to try to in, uh, build a culture, engage with people all during the time when we've been under a pandemic. That is a fairly unique circumstance. And going back to George Russell, yes, uh, I knew George a bit. He was a sounding board to me in my earlier years. Well, Laird Norton um, has really 
grown and evolved. Uh, now, I think it's about a $15 billion wealth management firm. It's a very comprehensive firm offering the full range of services. Maybe you could chat for a bit about Laird Norton today, what you do, perhaps maybe what you don't do, but, but give the, the listener a sense of the company. Sure. Yeah, you're right. We're, we're right about $15 billion in assets under management. Um, we are unique in that we're a trust company and a registered investment advisor. So we really want to be partners for our clients for generations to come in many different aspects. Um, we now have offices all over the nation, uh, New York, California, and Los Angeles, and San Francisco, and Seattle. And as you, if you look at our uh, key value proposition, where we really are strong is that multi-generational planning. Um, we are predominantly owned by a seventh generation family, which lends a lot of credibility to helping families from a governance and a um, management perspective, like keeping the family together. How do you think multi-generationally about your wealth and your sustainability as a family? And we are really strong in impact investing. Our merger with Weatherby uh, really enhanced that capability within our organization. They're, they're front runners in the impact investing space. And it's been a really nice complement to our team and to our clients on, on the impact side of things. I want to come back to ESG and impact uh, work, but I want to start with what percentage roughly of your staff would be devoted to family office services? Because as you know, there are lots of wealth management firms that might be investment businesses offering Vanguard or Fidelity or dimensional funds or, or some fairly simple construct on the investment side. And then they're essentially planners. Right. And the, the, the planning business can be simple or it could be much more evolved. My sense is, is that you've got a high percentage of your staff across the range of wealth management service? Very high percentage. We are bordering on 200 employees. And when I look at our, our team that's focused on client service, which has a wide breadth and depth of expertise, we've got attorneys, we have CPAs, we have CFPs, we have CFAs, we have people that are focused on divorce expertise and chartered trust analysts. Uh, we have around 100 employees that are solely focused on serving our clients and providing that expertise, which I think is unusual in, in our business. Um, we have dedicated resources to our clients on the estate planning, on the tax planning side of things that don't necessarily lead client relationships, but are always brought in as subject matter experts on behalf of our clients. We have a chief impact officer, Justina Lai, who also serves in that capacity to go very deep with families on on, on all different aspects of, of wealth as we're thinking about this generational planning. Uh, we really wanna lean in during transitions. You know, Life is very long, families change, their goals and objectives change, leaning in and leaning out with various expertise over the, over the life cycle of a family generationally. And it's one of the reasons why um, we've been really intentional about inorganic growth is thinking about the client experience and making sure that we are constantly thinking about how can we get better where is the puck going with what our clients' needs are and building out those capabilities? It, it hasn't been a, a focus more from a financial aspect of just bigger is better. It really is with this lens of what is better for our clients, what is better for our employees from, a, from an opportunity standpoint, what's better for the community, and what's better for our owners. And that is a bit unusual, as you probably know. There are many folks who would talk that kind of talk, but I don't think they're actually living it. Let's come back to your investment offering. Just summarize the firm's investment offering for me. 
at the core of what we are, we are open architecture. Uh, we are firm believers in op open architecture. We're firm believers in looking at the, the risks and the value of investments and being very thoughtful about the fees that we're paying and the managers that we're paying and providing active management where it makes sense, where there is value, going passive with strategies where it makes sense, where the value is there. Uh, a lot of our families are very large so and have the capacity to um, manage illiquidity within their portfolios, realizing that illiquidity is a, is a great enhancer to portfolios. Um, and then, you know, many of our families come to us for impact investing and adding the values layer onto their portfolios in, in whatever theory of change or risk context they're in really thinking about how can we lean into making a, a non-financial impact uh, with their resources and re really utilizing their entire balance sheet, whether it be through their investment assets, shareholder, um, the shareholder experience and really having advocacy at the shareholder level, lending their name, connecting from an educational standpoint, et cetera. Do you typically manage 100% of the client's asset base and financial affairs or are you also in the business of compartmentalizing your services? So you may have a certain percentage of investment only clients, a certain percentage of tax and estate clients, or is everything pretty much comprehensive and full service? You know, we typically work best and the majority of our clients, we manage the entire balance sheet. There are certain circumstances and, and we understand that it, families are complex and have different goals and objectives. We may be the trustee for a trust where we don't manage the outside assets, where we are the fiduciary for a family or the successor fiduciary for a family, where we might not have full insights into the total balance sheet, but play a certain role. I would say uh, we are open to all kinds of relationships. Like I said, we understand that the families are complex and it's not a forced march. Matter of fact, even not all of the Laird Norton family members are clients of ours. Some of, some of them are, some of them aren't. It's really about uh, what's best for our clients. But we do try to provide advice and guidance for the whole portfolio, even if we only manage a, a portion of the assets. But I would say a majority, we do manage the entire balance sheet. But you make a good point, And that is that if you don't manage the entire balance sheet and there are pre-existing advisors or other folks working with those families, you need to cooperate with them or at least know what they're doing, the results of what they're doing to some degree to be able to provide the solutions you do. So I'm thinking that you've gotten comfortable with this notion of coopetition, occasionally working with and being aware of other folks that are serving your clients. Very much so. If you put the hat on of what is best for the client, you have to check your ego at the door and walk into the room. And, you know, I often say many firms, one team. Or on behalf of the client. And um, I think that's what's really being a true advisor to families is that you take off your, I'm a Laird Norton and it's only about Laird Norton. It's really about what is best for the client. And they feel that, they feel that. No, I, I think it's a very good point um, and not one that has been adopted widespread yet. On your website, Kristen, I think I read something along the lines of you measure yourself by the results you achieve for your clients. Now, that's a nice tagline, but some results are much more easily measurable than others. You know, there are, there is investment performance. There is reducing their tax bill. There is making their financial lives less complex. Talk to me for a second about what it really means to deliver results for your clients. 
It, it's such a great question and it's really client specific. And it's, it's about getting to know the families that we work with and truly understanding their goals and objectives and developing metrics towards accomplishing those goals and objectives. You know, one family might be really intentional about raising the next generation to be financially literate, to, to be able to handle the capacity of managing their wealth. One family might be really intentional about um, family governance and their foundation and how they come together to invest to make an impact to, to grant. So it really is about understanding each individual family, each individual household, and each individual person within that family and developing and are helping, sometimes even helping them articulate what their goals and objectives are. Maybe they come to us and they don't even really have a sense. It's, it's new wealth or it's a, a younger generation member that is just learning about their family structure and what it means for them. So it really is about teasing out what is important to that family from an impact perspective, from a legacy perspective, from, a, from an investment perspective, what are their ret return objectives and developing a dashboard to really deliver for that family. It's a ton of work because it's very customized. I talk about this tension in our world about from a client service perspective, it's very inefficient. You, you, you can't measure efficiency on the client service side, but then there's the technology and some of the operations that are very efficient and you want scalability. And then there's this kind of gray in the middle and, and really building a team to be able to spend the time with clients, you know, because they really come to us for what's between our ears making sure that we have a great relationship with really understand their goals and objectives, but on the back end, having the technology so that you can be so efficient with transactions and rebalancing, et cetera, that we can spend the time with the clients. Let's go back to ESG and impact because you've mentioned it several times and I know it's important to the Laird Norton brand and, and offering. Do you have specific strong opinions, you, you, the company, have specifically strong views and practices that you have worked on and implemented at Laird Norton on specific pieces of the ESG pie? So is there a targeted and or concerted effort around social justice or around ED&I or around climate change or other particular topics? Or is your ESG and impact work very much reflective of what your clients are asking you? I think it's both, Chaz. Um... We definitely are listening to our clients, trying to understand what is important to them, finding solutions. And sometimes it's really difficult to source solutions to whatever their theory of change is. And it is somewhat being open and I'll say agnostic as to whatever the client's goals and objectives are. There are themes that we are seeing with our clients that we are focusing more of our resources toward where there is capacity to build portfolios around those themes. And I would say those are we call it planet sustainability and innovation, which is really about energy and infrastructure and global water, land, land resources, sustainable resources, et cetera. So more around the environment. The second theme is around empowerment, which is the DEI focus, financial inclusion, human rights, et cetera. And then community health and wellness. So things like affordable housing, healthcare and nutrition, quality jobs and education, you know, basic services, et cetera. So we, we are seeing that there's more, um, I would say, interest in those three themes that we are developing, I would say, a much more extensive solution to those. Um, that said, you know, families are interested in, in all different aspects of community impact. 
um, the planet and the community, um, some religious, some, you know, you name it, animal rights, et cetera. But, but we are, you know, it's hard to be all things to all people. And you do have to think about where you can consolidate resources that makes the greatest impact. And that's, that is really kind of the, the struggle that we face internally of, of really helping families make an impact on the world. I was just going to say, as you went through the litany of, of themes and issues that you touch on and have been asked to work through, that could be incredibly time intensive and spreading your workforce really thin to do a great job researching and working on and implementing policy, investment plans, and more. Yeah, and it, and it's one of the one of the great benefits of merging with Weather Weatherby because it's just wonderful resources added together. And then there's the whole how do you measure the impact too, which is a, a another complexity towards uh, towards impact or ESG investing. As what is the non financial metrics that we're really aiming towards, and is it really about theory of change and intentionality, or is it about the measurable results and so there's, there's a lot of active conversation. There's a lot of active conversation in the investment uh, world generally. Um, plenty of folks, both whom are leaders of organizations, large organizations, head of sustainability or head of the ESG side of their business that have actually come out and talked about uh, challenges or deficiencies or things that don't seem to line up uh, in their minds in terms of either how they're being uh, measured or uh, let's call it helpful information and misinformation in the ESG and impact world. Would you say that your, I think it was good that you mentioned they're kind of the return measurement and or what clients are coming to you for specifically. Would you say that it's more likely that clients have missions and values and ambitions that they are seeking to meet and work through with you as opposed to the buck really stops at some measurable long-term investment result. And if you can't justify how ESG and investment strategies have improved and delivered quality investment results over time, you know, it's a losing argument. Is it more the former or? I'd say it's a combination. You know, our due diligence process does start with, it has to be, it has to um, have all the aspects that would meet our diligence process. And we, we actually always, no matter even if a, if a client's not interested in impact or ESG investing, our thought process actually starts with environmental, social, and governance aspects of looking at, because it just makes business sense to look at those um, aspects when thinking about a, a manager or, or an investment. I will say that I, you know, there are some clients that are interested in that the return aspects of the investment are not the front runner, the impact aspects of the investment are the front runner. And, you know, there's a continuum of where philanthropy actually makes the most sense to make the impact, which is a, which is a 0% return, right. Uh, on your investment. And, and there's others where they might be willing to take, I'll say concessionary, but I'll just say it's actually more of a, they realize that the the, the impact is the front runner and the return is not, is the the lagger on their their purpose or their intentionality. And that might be giving a, a loan to an organization at below market rates. That is much more effective for them than um, getting risk-adjusted returns that, that meet with the market. But, but I'll tell you, from an investment standpoint, we always go into our investments with our full diligence analysis, really looking at the metrics 
and the impact metrics. You know, are they are they greenwashing? Are they really looking to achieve outcomes that they say they're achieving? That's a, it's a very good point. I'm glad you distinguished that. So you mentioned Weatherby and Justine Alai, who heads up um, impact and sustainability now with you. You're in the interesting position, Kristen, of having been on both sides of the table from the acquisition perspective, which not many have. So first at Threshold and then merged into acquired by Tiedemann and what you saw and lived through there versus then coming to um, Laird Norton and Laird Norton taking on filament and then more recently Weatherby. Just give me a sense of the differences or the particulars that you have noted as both acquiree and acquirer. Well, I, I have a lot of empathy for both sides. I guess I would say having lived it several times around. And it really has changed the way that I think about bringing organizations together. And we, we intentionally changed the word from integration to co-creation, which really is more aspirational in how we bring the organizations together and not, not with a fixed mindset and not over some pre-described timeframe. Um, the goal really isn't how can we get as efficient as possible and, and it's a forced march under one set of culture, cultural norms, structural norms. We've been pacing ourselves and we've been thinking about, let's just get to know each other first. Let's, let's understand your philosophy on serving clients. Let's understand your philosophy on the investment side. Let's understand your culture. And then let's take a step back and let's dream. What, what could be? Maybe it's the Weatherby way or the filament way or the Laird Norton way. Maybe it's a different way. Why wouldn't we take the time and really co-create something incredible? We're 54 years in the business. We're looking at the next 54 years. We, we have no intention of selling or, or, or changing, changing gears. It's really about this opportunity with a very patient board and a very patient majority owner family that, that also thinks in generational times about taking the time to co-create something incredible and layering on, I'd say that fourth leg of the stool of the community of like thinking about our clients, thinking about our employees, thinking about our owners, but also thinking about the communities that we reside in and what is our responsibility as business leaders to go out and be in the community to help marginalized communities build wealth. What's our, what's our strength? It's, you know, obviously financial literacy, how can we go out and help support the communities as we're, if we're thinking about the concentric circles and all stakeholders in the organization? So I think that if you were to ask the Weatherby folks, I think they, they would say that it's been a, while the, the pace of change is, has maybe been thoughtful and there, there is angst without having all the answers, but just getting comfortable with this thought of innovation and change and that we're going to try some things out and we might make a mistake, but that's okay, right? If we're not making mistakes, we're not innovating and we're not building something great and different. Like let's build that culture where we're okay trying something out and it not being perfect, but in this journey to be something great. It's always a little bit unusual to hear from a firm who's been in business as long as you have and has already iterated to the extent that it has acquiring other businesses, merging other businesses into them and thinking about change and innovation, as opposed to we've already kind of built the mousetrap pretty well. And you know, we, we've got a very clear view of how you fit into our business model. Um, I would say this is a more evolutionary approach. I would say that there are a number of other firms out there that are certainly 
open-minded and how they are evolving. And as you know, the M&A landscape has been a euphoria of deal-making for many folks, uh, many multifamily office wealth management businesses, many kind of serial acquires, financial institutions, some publicly traded, some private. Are there any particular firms that you have either gone up against in competition for your services or that when you were talking to Weatherby and when you acquired Filament and other firms you may have talked to, Kristen, are there firms that you've gone up against that you either admire or you say, no, that's a very compelling model. That's something that looks something like us. How, how differentiable do you see Laird Norton versus so many other folks in the wealth management and trust world? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, I would say that we never go up against the same organization when we are working with a, with a prospect family. You know, they come with their own set of relationships. Sometimes it's a big bank. Sometimes it's honestly, we're competing against them setting up their own single family office, which is a very different mm -hmm. model. I have great amount of respect for a lot of different organizations out there. I think I think there are some um, that are that are doing wonderful things that are being very thoughtful about the business that they're building, being thoughtful about the clients and the employees, and trying to create this unique ecosystem uh, on behalf of their clients and employees. It's funny we we did go up against Weatherby a few times, and when we did merge, it was kind of like, oh, you won that prospect. Oh, you won that prospect, and when now we have some. Uh, it's been nice to not have to compete against them because yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they uh, have such a great reputation, you know, but you're right there. They're, uh, I think there's a lot of firms that just have different goals and objectives, whether it's going public, whether it's scalability and just really looking at that as the, the driver of, of the business. There, there is some sense that scalability is much more efficient. And, you know, and, technology is extremely expensive. Absolutely. And as you know, a lot of what drives those firms' interest to greatly scale their businesses and make them a multiple of what they are today is their ownership. And whether it's private equity ownership that is looking right. to make, you know, a significant multiple on their capital over a period of five to 10 years, or some other owner with very clear growth and liquidity objectives. Let's finish up with your ownership and your governance. Yeah, and I think that's a really great point because I think that the other thing that is happening is uh, talent is really scarce right now and we're all looking for great talent. And so having capacity and capital to really support your talent is really what we're focused on right now. Our ownership structure, so we are predominantly owned by the Laird Norton families through the Laird Norton Company. This past year, we did introduce equity to our employees, thinking that if we can have the best of both worlds of aligning mindsets and, and, and actions of our employees with our owners that might, might be able to build this firm of the future where employees can participate in not only the decision-making, but in the financial rewards of building this business. And so this is a, this is a new concept for us. Weatherby was all employee-owned. Filament was all employee owned. Laird Norton was all family owned. And so by layering in these three organizations, we're kind of picking the best of both and honestly creating, co-creating something different. And we're, we're early in our days of this. So more to come. Do you have goals with regard to employee ownership? Are you trying to get it to a certain level or is it just kind of more, it will evolve? And, and the main thing is that you are building a stronger bond for your employees as employee owners? 
Yeah, it really is about empowering our employees. Right now, we have about one third of our employees are owners, and we own about one third of the business, which I think is a really nice mix. But it is about that succession planning for employee owners, giving them the opportunity to become equity owners and transitioning equity from some of our older employees as they think about their graduation to the next phase of life. That's the ecosystem that we're building, that it's something aspirational and inspirational to be an owner, that there are financial rewards, but also just empowerment and a a connection to other employee owners as we think about this business. I'm going to check back with you on that topic in three to five years, but let's finish with how the company is run. So the ownership is one thing and we see how that's evolved, but in terms of how you lead the company, you report to a board, kind of what, what are, what are the board responsibilities versus your responsibilities? And has that been in, in the COVID world, which is the only realm you've known as a leader, how do those responsibilities break out? So we have a board of 12 uh, that's new with the merger with Weatherby and Filament. It is, uh, there's five individuals on the management team that are on the board. I am one of those individuals. I do, so it's, it's an interesting mix. I report to the board, but uh, four of the five members are actually folks that report to me uh, as CEO of the organization. And then we have seven members that are designated by the Laird Norton Company, which is our majority owner. Um, only one of those uh, individuals is a family member. The rest are designated. Uh, we have two of them that are actually clients. So that's kind of a nice mix that they lend the, the client lens to the board. Um, it's, it's, really, it's a really neat mix. That's a pretty healthy balance. I was heartened to hear that uh, the Laird Norton family is, I think you just said, one of seven external members. The, that's right. the family has appointed those. And has that been if you can say a good experience and good for the company, or do you think there'll be an evolution into how outside board members are chosen and the roles that they play? I would say that we're in the middle of the evolution right now in that we're transforming the board to be what I would say more of a generative board using the wisdom in the room to really think about strategically where we're going as an organization. Since we're a trust company, we do have some fiduciary responsibilities, some more, I would say, typical board infrastructure that we have to manage. And we want to maintain that fiduciary mindset but are transforming the board, like I said, to use the wisdom of the people in the room to think, to ask us critical questions and challenge us on where we're going. So it's not just reporting out to the board, which I think many boards, I I often see them as that way, but really it's a collaborative effort. And with having five people on management on the board, the conversation, you know, there's deep expertise, but then having somebody who's a client and somebody who, who comes from the Laird Norton family, who's actually not a client, which is really interesting providing a wide range of of input and feedback into how we think about building this organization. Well, the real key is that they are helpful and that they bring diverse experiences and knowledge to the table, and that's good for the company overall. How many times since you've been CEO have you actually had to vote on a significant matter or where the board just can't agree on something that's important and material? It hasn't happened in my tenure, to be honest with you. We usually come to actually 100% alignment. The conversation might be frothy in the middle, which always is a sign of a, of a great board, but it's, I think the support of not looking at quarter by quarter, we're really thinking 
long-term, honestly, we're feeling a little bit like we're in the J curve right now of, of an investment and really thinking about what, what's the next 10 years look like, not what, what's the next year look like. And if you, if you look at it from that approach, decisions become a little bit easier in the organization. You know, right now, like I said, talent is, is really hard to come by. The market has had a significant decline. We're trying to lean in right now um, with our employees and our clients and um, instead of putting pause on where I think some other organizations might be. Well, we could continue, Kristen, but I think we'll probably wrap it up there. I'm really <laughs> appreciative of you joining me and congratulations. I mean, taking over when you did and um, kind of where the company sits today and hearing what's on your plate, really pleased to hear it. Thanks so much, Chaz. I love what you're doing with the podcast. I think it's really informative and educational and uh, you, you have such a great lineup of people that you've spoken to. So really appreciate it. Take care. All right, take care.